Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Happy Wednesday, if you're listening to this on the day that it airs. Um, I also want to give a big old welcome here, if this is your first time here, because I know that we have some newcomers, which is always super exciting for me to see. Um, And I want to just kind of quickly introduce myself and also set the stage for today's conversation for you. I'm Emily Aborn. I'm your effusive podcast host. And in addition to the She Built This podcast, which a lot of people ask if it's my only gig, which I find hilarious. uh, No, this is a labor of love. This is my passion project, my friends, not my only gig, but I am very passionate about it and love it so much indeed. She Built This is not just a podcast, it's also a community for women entrepreneurs, which I'm the owner and founder of, and if you're not a part of it yet, I highly encourage you to check it out and see if you might be interested in joining us. We are the group of people by your side, live time, when you're building your business, because the way I see it is everybody is going through all of these many stages of growth, and we all have valuable ideas, inspiration, resources, um, strategies and tips around visibility and also increasing one another's visibility, relationship building, and celebrating. So we like to share the wealth. So if that has piqued your curiosity at all, um, I invite you to visit shebuiltthis.org and you'll see a myriad of ways to get involved. And then don't be shy. Come on in. We have room at our table for you. Uh, I am also a content writer and I have this unique one-of-a-kind product where I help to take a lot of the fear, overwhelm, frustration, organization is one I hear a lot. Um, I take all of those issues out of the content creation process and I make your life just a whole lot easier. So literally all you have to do is cut and paste and your content is wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Real quick on that note, if you do want to learn more um, or work with me for your content, I take on a very limited number of one-to-one clients every month, and I have a few spots that are going to be opening up in March. So get it while the getting is good. And I promise I don't just say that to create false urgency. I legitimately book up very fast. Um, This week's, and you can learn more about that at emilyaborn.com. Don't worry. You don't need to take notes on all these things. All of the links that you need are going to be in the show notes. This week's podcast review of the week is by the one, the only, Scuttle48. I always find people's iTunes username so interesting. Scuttle shares. The one with Laura Bell Gray is gold. This was so helpful. Real authentic connection is key to building genuine, long-lasting relationships. Jackie. Thank you so much to Jackie, aka Scuttle48, for listening and sharing your thoughts. That episode was a really fun one for me to record, so I'm glad that you find value in it. And I am just impeccably grateful for each and every review. They mean so much to me because reviews are how you can help me to build this podcast. And if you don't know how to write one, just ask. I am like a super duper pro at walking people through all the steps with the screen record on my phone, and I take great joy in doing so. So reach out if you don't know how to write a review and I can help you. Help me. Okie dokie, housekeeping 
done. The, this month on the podcast, the theme is relationships. So far, we've had Jolie Hamilton come share with us about how to use our skills and strengths from the workplace or as entrepreneurs in our interpersonal and marital relationships. Last week, we had my friend Aaron Morgan share with us how learning our Colby score can help us to lean into our strengths on teams, and also throughout our lives. And next week, I'm having Ed Combs of the Healthy Love and Money Way share about how our relationship to money, as well as our partners, and how the stories we have around it can go way, way further back than you might even think. So that's kind of the full picture for this month. Go back and listen to any that catch your interest after this. And of course, if you want to be the first one to hear when the next episode comes out, you just have to subscribe, like, follow, whatever your podcast app tells you to do. And I always welcome your comments, feedback, thoughts, and otherwise. So never hesitate to share, reach out to me, and open up a conversation. Today, I am talking to Anna and John Mann, co-authors of The Go-Giver Marriage. And if you're thinking to yourself, hmm, this go-giver thing sounds familiar, you are not wrong. John is the co-author of the classic 2008 parable, The Go-Giver, with Bob Berg. In fact, he is the co-author of more than 30 books, including four New York Times bestsellers and five national bestsellers. His wife, Anna earned her degree in clinical psychology before going on to serve as an educator, therapist, corporate trainer, speaker, and coach. She currently coaches Go-Giver Marriage clients and leads the Go-Giver Marriage Coaches Training Program, training coaches from all around the globe. And I have to give a huge thank you to Erin Newhart, who was the go-giver who made this podcast episode happen. Erin is the queen of all things visibility strategy, and no matter where you are in your own visibility journey, she can help you to move in the right direction with yours. And like I said, do not worry. I have all the links you need in the show notes. I don't want you scribbling all this down, especially if you listen while you're driving or operating heavy machinery like, you know, a vacuum cleaner or a baby stroller carriage or something. I am all about the go-giving philosophy. I believe it to my core in all of my relationships. And I loved this conversation because John and Anna give practical ways to start applying it literally starting today in your marriage. Some of the things that jumped out at me, and of course, you'll hear more about these in our interview, but I just kind of want to let you know what you're in for. Uh, so some of the things that jumped out at me were how many times someone even as well known as John was turned down in publishing this book before getting a yes, how love is a verb and needs to be practiced regularly, and how the opposite of love is not hate, and they share this in the book too, but it's actually ambivalence. Uh Anna and John talk about how our relationship, the us, is like a third entity. It's something that you need to feed and grow together, each of you. And why giving is not the same as self-sacrifice. It doesn't perhaps have the same negative connotation of being a quote-unquote giver. Um, and we also get into two of the secrets of a long-lasting relationship and lots more. Just to emphasize that point about the relationship being a third entity, there are a couple of roomy poems I really love that speak to this very thing, one of which I know I wrote down in a notebook somewhere when I was in France and first chatting with my husband, Jason, communicating with him, but I couldn't for the life of me find it. Um, and so I did look through all my old emails and I found another uh, of Rumi's poems that I'd written down in an email 12 years ago. You think because you understand one you must also understand two, because one and one make two. 
but you must also understand and. So without further ado, I hope that you enjoy all of the light shed in this episode and a deeper understanding of growing a strong and flourishing and. Hello, Anna and John, and welcome to the She Built This podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Yes, thank you. I'm excited to have you both. I love having two guests, and I especially love when it's a married couple. It's very fun. Um, so before we get into everything, why don't you tell us a little bit about your backstory? You two are the authors of The Go-Giver Marriage, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about the go-giver philosophy and how this, how you sort of fell into doing this work. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, I'll start with that because um, it goes back to the original Go-Giver book. Um, my sort of my life and career, I sometimes describe as like a pinball game. I, I sort of have bounced between a handful of different careers, and I was um, actually on my way to being a screenwriter. That was my ambition. I was in my in my mid forties, and and uh, or and a friend of mine approached me about writing this book together. So we wrote this book called The Go Giver, and that was the beginning of my new career as a as an author. Um, this was back in the early 2000s. And the original Goalgiver book first slid out of my desktop printer as a very rough draft in 2005. Um, and, and my wife, Anna, is the first reader of every book I've written. I've written, I've published over 30 books since that time. And she's always my, she's always my best reader. She's my most critical reader. And I mean that in the best way. Like she loves all my books. She's my biggest fan, but she also uh, knows how to put her finger on the spots that aren't quite working. So I love to have her read every book I do first. She read The Go-Gera. She said, this is awesome. And it would make a great book about marriage. Uh, the, the, the sort of the premise of The Go-Giver, the core philosophy, it's, it's billed as a business book, but it's really a life book. Uh, it's kind of a book about how to be a human being in the world. And we put it in the context of business and business relationships, but its principles are really applicable anywhere. The core idea of it is that living with your focus on other people, with your eyes on the person in front of you, and how can I, how can I benefit their life? How can I um, support them or have a positive impact or improve their lives rather than having the focus on myself? What can I get out of this, this interaction? But that's a satisfying and a noble way to live, but it's also pragmatic. It actually increases your success. It, it, it makes you a person that the world looks upon kindly and wants to treat well. And the book really hit a chord in the world. Um, I was, we were talking about another podcast and, and I described the, that the book was rejected by its first 22 publishers that we tried it. And uh, the 23rd said yes, and I hope the first 22 aren't too unhappy because it then went on and sold over a million copies. I was just going to say, I love these stories about all of those rejections <laughs> and then and then hearing. And it's like all of those other publishers must be just kicking themselves right now. So, well, yeah, we all we each have our own, own paths to tread. And they, they, it, book wasn't for them, but it was obviously for somebody. Um, so the book is really, really popular. And we've done several Go-Giver books since then. A Go-Giver book, a book about leadership, a Go-Giver book about influence, a Go-Giver book about sales. But that initial 
reaction Anna had. This would be a great book about marriage. That never left us. Um, this is Anna's background. She, she, this is her passion, helping couples and individuals lead fuller, richer, you know, happier lives. And so we always wanted to apply to make a go-giver book that was about our marriage, about ideal marriages, about relationships. And it just, you know, the, the time finally came when it was, it was our turn to write this book. So this is the first book we've ever written together. And, uh, and we're having a blast. And I love, I, I am a true believer in that philosophy as well, like not keeping score. It's not this for that. It is just right. truly coming at things with how can I help? How can I give? How can I add value and contribute positively to the different relationships and areas in my life? So I am 100% on board. Um, so as you sort of got into this, I mean, this is 22 years later after your first book, if I'm if my math is correct, what um, finally made you decide, okay, this is the time? Well, we, we have been wanting to make the time, but we also needed to be respectful. Each book that came out in the Go-Giver series needs, you know, a book needs two years to not only establish its growth curve, but get its feet on the ground and start moving. Um, so we were being respectful of that. And also John's a very sought after writer. And often he had schedules that were booked three years in advance. So, yeah, it kept being like, okay, where are we going to fit it in? Uh, the, the bigger issue for us as we, you know, is that, you know, because this is such a passion of mine, was that we really, really wanted to write it together. We wanted to make the space for this book to, to come forth because we feel it's really important. Um, but also uh, when the pandemic hit and we knew that people were behind closed doors, with their entire family locked up in the same space. We knew that this was a time when people were not only going at each other, but that the greatest stress of all was being piled on top of each other and not going off to work and not having those breaks where they could be in their own identity. Now they were wrapped in the identity of the entire family and without enough space to separate. And, you know, as we know now that it's two years later, the pandemic is creating more divorces than we've seen in many, many years. So that was the impetus. We were like, okay, we have to write it now. So the, the issue with every book is that, you know, you get the book finished, you write it, you shop it to publishers, you know, they all love it. Um, but then once somebody buys it, it's another year before it hits the market. So, you know, it was finished two and a half, three years ago, but here we are. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. This is just like a writing logistics question. How do you actually write a book together? Like one thing I will say, <laughs> which I give you, I give you so much credit for. I've read books that um, have had co-authors or couples have written them together. And I can tell because they, sometimes they just flat out outline it. Like I wrote this chapter, this person wrote this chapter, but how do you like, how do you actually do something like that together? Yours was seamless. I could not tell that there were two authors. <laughs> Oh, that's so great to hear. I love hearing that. So well, I'll tell you, <laughs> sort of the dirty little secret of, of, of my books is, and it's not really a secret and it's nothing dirty about it actually, is, uh, you know, of these 30 plus books that I've done, almost all of them have been co-authorships. So that's kind of been my writing model. I've done a lot of books with other people like Bob Berg and the other Go-Giver books or like Brandon Webb, my Navy SEAL buddy with whom I've written seven books and other, other co-authorships. How those usually work, this could be half the answer to your question. How those normally work is 
I will sit down, talk with the other person. Um, you know, I'll read their stuff, their blogs, their articles, their lectures, what have you. Uh, we'll get to know each other really, really well. I'll absorb their material. They'll, they'll, they'll absorb mine. And then when it comes time to actually start the manuscript, I close my door, turn off my phone and sit down at my desk and I write. Um, I, I do the, the writing. And then once the first draft of the manuscript is done, plug back in my phone we, and, I, and I start to work with my co-author and I share the manuscript and they have you know, comments to say, things to add, things to, to revise or change or whatever. But I, I kind of do the writing. It's like, that's, that's my bailiwick. We didn't do it that way. We did it. This is the first book I've written with Anna. First book she's been a co-author with me on. And it's been a first experience for me too, in that we really kind of split the, the, the writing tasks in half. The, and I'm charmed, uh, Emily, that you, you didn't you know, pick up the voice change, which is lovely for us. And it makes us feel good about the book having kind of integrity as a whole. The book is in two halves. The first half is called The Parable. And it's a story about a young couple whose marriage isn't terrible, but it's kind of in more trouble than they even realize. It, it certainly could be a lot better. They've been through a lot of hardship and difficulty in the last five, six years. And we follow the, the, each of them through the course of a day where they learn some, some secrets. We call them the five secrets to lasting love. The second half of the book is called The Practice. And that's how to unpack those secrets from the story and apply them in your actual life. That's kind of the guidebook. Writing the parable was really my job. It's what I do. And writing the guidebook was really Anna's work. So we, we, we kind of split that book down the middle. I was involved in, in her, her half, uh, you know, as, as she wrote it. And she was involved in my half as I wrote it. But that's, that's how we split it up. Um, and, and I want to get back into that um, point about not having like, that the couple in the parable did not have anything like that on the outside would look like a huge, huge issue. But so we'll get back into that in a minute. Um, but first, I know that there's some people listening that would identify themselves as givers. And when you say go giver and you're saying, OK, now I want you to give more. People are like, wait a minute. <laughs> I am already giving. I am already a giver. So what does this look like? Like, let's distinguish between giving and maybe sacrificing yourself and your own happiness, mm. if you don't mind. I think that people sometimes, it's a great question, really great question. Uh, I think that people often identify giving as, you know, I'm the one that does all the laundry. I'm the one that takes the kids to all their appointments. I'm the one that, you know, makes all the meals. I do the shopping you know, I'm giving, giving, giving. Um, and they're looking at the tasks of living together as the giving versus um, the giving of emotional gifts, the giving of yourself in a way that you're bringing, to your, bringing yourself to your marriage in a new way that refreshes the marriage, that brings the spark to life, and that, um, that enriches the other person because you're giving to them in ways that they are not accustomed to receiving. Uh, and, and by that, I mean that it's, it's, you know, it's easy when you're in romantic love, when you've just met and you're crazy about each other, you love every little last thing about them. You're constantly telling them how wonderful they are. You're admiring everything about them from their smile to the way they walk, to their hair, to their, you know, to the way they talk, you know, anything. I mean, it's just constant. But, you know, after we 
get married and we move in together and life starts to get more complicated. You know, people lose jobs, people have miscarriages, people go through all kinds of different things. They have children with special needs, you know, things happen. You know, you, you start to get into the rote of what does it mean to just keep the household running rather than what does it mean to feed the marriage? What am I doing every day to feed the marriage? You know, when people get married, there's two separate individuals, but the marriage itself creates a third entity in the room and in the home. And that third entity we call the us. And the us is, is the marriage itself. It's the energy that you both bring to the marriage and how that energy commingles. And believe it or not, it's, it's very important that you feed the us simply because your children are learning about marriage from watching you. I mean, they, they are soaking it up like a sponge. So sacrificing is the idea that, you know, I've quit my job. I'm staying home to raise the kids. I'm going to devote myself to the kids and devote myself to this, this life of keeping the house and doing these things. And, but it isn't about learning and growing and becoming more yourself. It, it is less, you know, when people say that they're sacrificing, my first question is, well, where and how are you growing? Are you growing? Mm. And what are the ways you're growing? Because growing doesn't have to be a career outside of the home. Growing could be that you're, um, you know, you have a child with special needs and you've learned everything you know about the state laws on special, special needs children. And you're now able, you've become sort of a armchair expert, if you will, and you not only know how to meet with the SPED department, but you know how to teach other parents how to meet with the SPED department. And, you know, these are critical um, moments of learning for people. Um, so, you know, there's, there's got to be ways that it's not just about sacrificing yourself because you're growing and learning. Um, and also, I like to reframe it. If you've decided to stay home with the kids, that's a decision. But you can still grow within that and you can still not be in a place of sacrificing. Um, so, right. Yeah. So this is, this is giving meaningful emotional gifts to one another that is helping both of you and your marriage, all three parties to grow. Yes. Yep. I love how you, yes. I love the all three parties part of it. Cause there is, there's three people in the room. There's you, there's me. And then there's thing, this thing as Anna said, the us. I think I stole that from a roomy poem. So don't, don't use that as my quote. <laughs> Um, all right. We, we are definitely talking about marriage, um, but could these principles be applied to any romantic relationship or do you feel that's just the institution of marriage? You know, there is something that is unique about, about a, a relationship to which you're committed, lifelong, lifelong committed relationship, you know, typically called marriage. At the same time, uh, these, these five secrets, as we call them, they, these principles, you can apply these to any other romantic relationship. You can apply these to any other relationship, period. I mean, they, they also, you could use them with your children, with your parents, with your colleagues, friends. Um, they really are, they are principles about how to be in a human relationship, how to treat other people so that you both win, how to treat other people so that you both grow and, and uh, nobody ends up with the short end of the stick. Uh, even though we focus on marriage as the context, and that is that is special to us, but yeah, it, it applies everywhere. 
One thing that that was very well said, and I totally agree with you that, you know, from what I took of the principles, I was thinking about how to apply these to all kinds of relationships in my life. Um, so one thing that you said, which I, I wrote this quote down because I really loved it. You say the opposite of love is not hate, but ambivalence. And I, I do think that that word ambivalence has a lot of power. So even for people not having major problems in their relationship, can this book help them and be of value? Uh, ambivalence is a powerful word and I like to tell people sometimes when I'm coaching I'll share with somebody you know that there's a lot of ways to neglect your partner and one of them is to just be ambivalent to be in that place where you know life is cruising by and you're not really giving your partner or anything else much attention um, and so you are, in, in a sense, neglecting your partner and ne neglecting the relationship. And, you know, some of the ways that people do that is that, you know, they watch porn, they, um, they have addictions, um, they go to the gym, they focus all their energy on social media, um, they, they give all their time and attention to friends outside of the relationship and don't remember to give attention and time at home. Uh, you know, ambivalence is, you know, people always talk about someone cheating on them as being the big, you know, violation, but all the little violations not only add up, but they set a tone where it's almost like they, these couples will wake up 12 or 14 years later and realize that the marriage is asleep at the wheel and that they don't feel much passion or affection for the other person anymore. And they can't figure out what happened. I, I want to add to that that, you know, honestly, the thing about the little things, the little violations, and, you know, we're big believers that in the, in the idea that big changes and important changes are built on little actions repeated daily over time. Um, and to me, the, 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 the key thing about ambivalence and about the kind of neglect that Anna's talking about is it often it isn't intentional. You know, it isn't like, I love you. And then all of a sudden I start unloving you. I start, you know, hating you, or it isn't that the love suddenly goes away. It's that we let it slide because other things take our attention. You know, other things take center focus. We've got financial problems. We've got kids now. We've got a career. We've got issues. Somebody has an illness. Somebody has an accident. Life is full of, of uh, you know, things that are blaring their horns at us, calling our attention justifiably, legitimately. And so we kind of let the attention that we paid to our spouse when we were dating or courting, we let that slide because we kind of figure that's safe, that's done. Like she knows I love her, he knows I love him. So we let it go and it, it starts to sour into this, this sort of bland neutrality, which in time becomes ambivalence. Ambivalence in time will become rejection. Um, and, and again, it's not intentional. We believe, and we talk about this, this in the book, that love is a practice. It's something you actually practice at every day. It's not something that just comes naturally automatically and, and goes on forever. It's something like your tennis game or like your flute you know, or like your yoga that you actually put in time practicing every day. And it's the lack of that daily practice that allows the, the vacuum of, of ambivalence to start to filter through. Yeah. And to your point, you know, this is uh, for, for even, no matter how long you've been married, it is a new thing. Like you are in this relation. You haven't, you didn't, you weren't born into this relationship. You chose it. And 
there are many instances where nobody modeled it for you going going ahead. And so you kind of had to like, like you have this blank piece of paper and you're like, okay, now what? So I love that concept of daily action, daily practice. Like what do we want this story to look like together? Like what are we going, what word are we going to write every single day that is going to turn this into a, a masterpiece? And that brings up another point, which is that, you know, if you try to build intimacy with another person before getting whole on your own, all of your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. So, you know, people come into marriages and they're, they're on the flush of romance. But as soon as they're in the marriage, whatever their emotional family history is, and we refer to it always as the collection of suitcases you bring to the marriage, those suitcases start unpacking. And that's the moment when you have opportunity because you have opportunity both for healing because that attempt to complete yourself is really the opportunity for you to have self-awareness and recognize that these patterns that you're acting out are old. There are ways that you adapted as a child. They may not be applicable now. And number two, that it's an opportunity for you to be compassionate for your partner because they may be acting out old old patterns as well, that it's time to let go of, it's time to shift. And those are the kinds of entanglements that cause people to try to control each other, get into codependent behaviors, um, deny each other's reality, all kinds of patterns that people can get into in marriages that really don't have to be there if they're willing to take daily actions and if they're willing to stay self-aware and to be open to growing. Yeah. Um, and, and really be curious about where these things are coming from and whether or not, you know, the stories that we're telling ourselves are true some of the time. So, okay. Do you think maybe you can spill the beans on like two of them? These five secrets to a healthy marriage. Are you both sure. ready for that? I bet listeners are dying to hear what some of these secrets are. They're like, give us the secrets. So can we dive into a couple? Oh, sure. Um, you know, one of the secrets that I, that I, but there are five, as we say, and I love them all. They're like, if you have five kids, which one is your favorite? It's hard to say, right? <laughs> but um, one secret that I particularly am fond of is number three. It comes right in the middle of the pack. Uh, and by the way, all of these secrets, what they really are is, is their ways of being every day that come up in everyday situations. Number five is what we call allow. And allow is possibly the most subtle and, and, and not non-obvious of the five. Allow refers to a kind of behavior that comes up when, usually over time, um, after you've been together for a while, and where you start to come into some difficulties. Um, maybe, and I don't just mean difficulties in, uh, in, uh, in your relationship, but in life. Um, you know, maybe one of you is sick, or maybe one of you is laid off from a job, or maybe one of you is hurting in some way for some reason. Allow means giving your partner the space to go through what they're going through. It means giving them the benefit of the doubt. It means not being judgmental. It means giving them extra space. Allow means having empathy, even if you don't understand fully what's going on for the other person, as being being there for them rather than reacting defensively or, you know, or hostily. Um, so a great example is you get up in the morning, you both come into the kitchen and one of you is snapping at the other. And I'm thinking, well, why are you, why are you being so snippy? Possibly my native reaction is to get defensive and start snipping back. 
or to get sulky because I'm like, why is she snapping at me? Or to have some other reaction. Any of these reactions separate us from each other. Instead of feeding the us, they're starving the us. They're making me separate from you. What allowing means is she's feeling snippy. I'm, I see that. I don't know why it is. And so in this moment, I'm going to make my, my response be, all right, let me just do the dishes. Let me take care of this. Let me take care of that. Let me give her a little extra space. Um, you know, sometimes our natural response is to get in their face and say, well, what's going on with you? What's, you know, what's wrong? And that isn't always what the other person needs. Sometimes the other person just needs to be given a little bit of, a little bit of leeway, a little bit of space. So that, you know, that's the essence of the idea of allow. Yeah. So I guess what's the opposite of that? Um, yeah. The opposite of that is the thing that we unfortunately all too often gravitate to, which is I want to make you be more like the way I'd like you to be, mm. the more, I, the way I wish you were behaving right now. In other words, I want to control, I want to control how, rea- how you're reacting, how you're behaving, how you're being. Control is the opposite of allow. And control too easily, too often becomes this sort of virus that infects the relationship. Um, it, we describe it as the four deadliest words in marriage, which are, I love you, but, you know, I love you, but I wish you would, you know, just be more, uh, more outgoing and, and talkative at parties. Or I love you, but I wish you would be less talkative at parties. I wish you, but I wish... I love you, but I wish you would lose 20 pounds. I love you, but I wish you would, you know, pick up your socks off the floor. All these little conditionalities you start building into the way I kind of wish you were. You start building up this person that you're trying to mold your partner into becoming. And all you're really doing is indulging your own issues and trying to impose them on the other person. You can't change that other person. Yeah, I was just yeah, gonna you're say. Yeah, you're gonna say, you're imposing yourself. It's totally right? making yeah. it all about you. Like even in the situation you gave with yes. somebody coming down, feeling snippy, it, getting all up in their face is completely making that about you and not turning that, you know, yeah. not giving them any empathy basically to just allow them to be how they feel. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, controlling and, is, oh, go ahead, sweetie. I was gonna say, and allow also is, you know, in. in in the marriage vows, when we say for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, you know, it's the sickness, it's the poorer. And, you know, there are moments when, you know, as your marriage goes on, somebody's going to get hurt or somebody's going to get sick. Something's going to happen that requires that you have to suddenly pick up the slack on the entire household. And the example I'll use is that, you know, when John and I, early on in our marriage, I broke my leg in a compound fracture with over 30 fracture lines. And I didn't walk for a year and a half. Wow. And I I couldn't get a glass of water across the room. I couldn't make the bed. I couldn't cook dinner. I couldn't do anything. I had trouble getting into the shower. So um, John had to literally pick up the slack and carry everything in the household for a year and a half. That is allow because he never complained once. And it isn't like he was loving it. He was working double duty. He was still writing books. He was still doing everything else. Um, and, you know, it, it, it just, wow, it's huge when that happens. But a year or two after that, one of our parents got sick and needed five surgeries in two years. And we were living literally one of us in Florida and the other in New Hampshire while taking care of a teenager with special needs. 
it's like those are the moments when you have to not only be in love and love the other person, but you have to allow for what's happening right now. It's craziness. So we would get on FaceTime and, you know, just spend that time with each other that we weren't getting in person. And I mean, everything in your marriage shifts when big, big dramas go down. Um, so that's also, a, a, I think, a really important aspect of allow is that sometimes, you know, marriage isn't fair. And sometimes there's things that are going to happen that really put a cramp in your style, but you're going to have to allow for them. Mm, I love that. So well said. Are you ready to divulge one more of the secrets? Absolutely. I would love to. Um, one of my favorite secrets, and I'll just say this, that all five secrets are about, about the developmental theory of what you needed as an infant, you also needed as a child, you also needed it as an adolescent, as a young adult, and now as a full adult, these are still the same things that you needed when you were very, very young. And so all five secrets have their own basis in developmental theory. Um, but the first one I'm especially fond of because there is nothing sweeter than a baby laying on a blanket and an adult is looking down into their face and cooing at them and telling them that they are the most perfect baby that's ever been born, blowing kisses on their belly and just having that complete moment of love and appreciation. And, you know, this is the stage that is referred to psychologically as primary narcissism. It's the phase of development where you're still forming yourself and you're feeding off of the feedback you get. And that feedback that you get is that you're being witnessed. You're being seen, listened to, and understood. When a baby cries in the night, it's important that someone shows up. When, you know, I mean, just all of those pieces, they're so critical. So appreciation is a very, very simple, and it's disarmingly simple. I think sometimes when I've shared it, people are like, but that's so easy. You know, you just say, hey, you know, you're looking good today, honey. You know, but that's, you know, that's like a, a surface kind of appreciation. What we're talking about here is taking about three minutes a day um, to identify three things, three separate incidents of something that you love and appreciate about your spouse. And in that, to then take the time to verbally tell them, and for it to be an authentic moment of appreciation. So you stop them in their tracks and you let them know, look, you know, I know you're home with the kids all, all day and that right now you're also juggling your career and your Instagram is growing really fast and, you know, you're, you're working for all these clients, but you also have these kids that you're paying attention to. And what I love about you is that you're constantly making sure that our children come first. You schedule around their appointments. You schedule around when they come home from school. You take time to bake with them and to do things with them. And when I watch you as a mother or a father, I just feel this joy that you are our kids' father or mother. And, you know, I've had clients that when they start practicing this, they're like, they start really appreciating their partner for their parenting you know, they'll suddenly be like, wow, you know, I, I, I never tell him or her what a great parent they are. And, but those are the things that build and nourish the other person tremendously. I mean, um, one of my clients recently had a moment where her husband took all the kids Christmas shopping, and there were three of them, 
brought them home, took them out for ice cream, brought them home, wrapped all the presents. And the kids were like running down the stairs with these secrets that they had from mommy. And when she had coffee with him the next morning, she said, you have no idea. My week was so crazy and you just rescued me. You were my total hero. But it's so much bigger than that because the kids are so fed by you. They adore you and you adore each one of them for all their individual nuances and you pay such good attention to them. And I feel so blessed that you're the father of our kids. And she said, he stopped in his tracks. He's, he's never without words. And he, he welled up with tears and said, thank you. That means so much to me. I want so badly to be a good father. This is so beautiful and such a small, simple act, but you're right. It really does feel so good to be truly seen and heard. And the other thing I love is rather than looking for, like, it's like a diet, right? Rather than looking for things that we can pull out, like criticism, we're adding something like leafy green vegetables to our plate. So it's not about like, it's not about trying to like cut out something negative. It's about adding in something positive to take its place, which then just becomes, of course, amplified. Exactly. That's exactly it, Emily. And the thing is, is that it's amplified because you have a groove in your brain and you have a choice between using criticism, which is the opposite of appreciation, using criticism and looking for all those little ways to pick apart your spouse, all those little things that irritate you or bother you, but they aren't important. And if you focus on the things that you appreciate about them, you'll soon find that the groove for criticism starts to vanish. And what takes over is, and what gets amplified, as you said, is this appreciation and praise. My husband is going to like this podcast. I got my little list started. So, <laughs> um, all right. So here's that. This actually brings me to a, a great question. Do both people in the marriage have to be having read this book and also doing this work uh, together? Or is it something that you can work on on your own? And what do you see as the, I guess, advantages of, of being the only one working on it? Yeah, I, I, I was thinking that I was thinking that topic as you were mentioning your husband. Yes. I'll speak to that just just real, I'll speak to that real real briefly just to say let's be practical. It would be lovely if couples read this book and that will happen in many cases, but in many cases it won't. There will be one person who who reads the book because frequently in couples one person is ahead, uh, two steps ahead, one person's two steps behind on any particular initiative. Um, so realistically, yeah, we're going to have a lot of people where one person in the couple starts to initiate changes. Can that work? Absolutely, it can work. And I, I would defer to Anna to say more about that in terms of the therapeutic context. But, you know, our experience is, yes, that is one person can absolutely shift the tone of a marriage by, by employing these secrets. And it's critical that they do simply because, um, you know, in therapy, a lot of the time the therapist spends unwinding the scorecard and they both come into the therapy with their scorecard up and front center. You know, this is what's wrong with her or him, and this is what they need to change. Um, not even really looking at themselves sometimes. And once you as a therapist start moving them toward the issues that they have, that they need to look at, and the things that they need to shift, there can be tremendous resistance. Um, you don't have to have two parties in a marriage read the book, and you don't have to have two parties practicing the secrets for the whole entire tone of the marriage to shift. And I've had clients that went away because we will really work on one secret at a time in sessions. And I've had 
clients go away and really pour themselves on appreciation and come back a week later and be like, oh my goodness, you don't even know. I mean, my whole house has changed. I not only have been appreciating my husband, but I've been appreciating my children. I've been appreciating my mother-in-law. And, you know, all of a sudden she's like, no, it's just like, it's kind of like magic. Like I, if, if somebody had told me that something this simple could shift the whole tone of the house, I would be saying no, I would have my arms folded. Um, she also was somebody who was a self-proclaimed hands on her hips girl. She said, I would have my hands on my hips when he came home from work. And she said, my favorite phrase for him was, honey, we need to talk. And she said she she cut all of that out and she had taken all of her criticism and backed it up. She said just taking out the criticism was huge, but adding the appreciation, boom. She said it was like life changing and she hadn't even gotten to the other four secrets. Wow. I love that the idea of starting with just one and like really putting all your attention and effort into that because that's that that makes it feel really doable and i imagine everybody applies it differently you know some people probably want to do all five at once <laughs> so i have one more question for both of you which i think we all have maybe our own idea of or definition of but in your mind in your opinion what is the purpose of marriage <laughs> um well there's a passage in the book, which, which uh, that question is asked at the end of the first chapter of the book, what is the purpose of, of, of marriage? And, and Tom, the young man who, who is asked the question, is flabbergasted because he's never thought to ask the question before, and he really doesn't have a clue what the answer is. I think it's a question that maybe a lot of us don't, don't really ask because it, it, it you know, it, it seems so obvious. Well, the purpose of marriage is, uh, I don't know, to raise kids is to keep a household is to kind of help each other out. It's to, because it takes two to get all these, to run a household and do all these tasks is to, but really there, we believe there's more to it than that, that all of the things that come with marriage, raising children, uh, um, perpetuating the species, building a legacy through your kids. Um, and, uh, you know, the things that you do professionally in your career and in your, and in, in your household, those are all part of living. Those are all part of the trappings of your marriage. But what's the bottom line reason? We believe it has to do with self-actualization, really. We believe that marriage, it's the character in the book says in the end, the purpose of marriage is to give yourself to another person and in the process, become your best self. And I think what was kind of in the back of my mind with that is there are places, and I'll just speak from my experience, Anna and I have been together for 25 years, and we've been we've been uh, we were together for 10 years first before we got married. And we really once we th by the day we married, we really knew each other well. And um, now we've been through so much together, uh, you know, good times and, and tough times. The sicknesses Anna referred to, and, and all kinds of str the struggles that everybody faces in life. There are places that I've gone to in terms of who I am that I know I never would have reached if she weren't in my life, she pulls it out of me. And I'll give you an example. She told, started telling me 20 years ago, you'd be a great novelist. You'd write, you'd write great novels. I would say, thank you. I appreciate the vote of confidence, but I didn't really believe it. I <laughs> just like, no, no. In my mind, I was saying, thank you. But no, no, I really, I couldn't. It just seemed like 
that's just too uh, uh, too intimidating a thing. How do you write a whole novel? I couldn't imagine doing it, but she could. She saw it in me, and she pulled it out of me. You know, last year I published my first novel, and and it and it's done really well. Um, th this whole new adventure in my life as a novelist, it would not have happened if Anna weren't in my life. There are things that she's doing in her life that I know would not have happened if I weren't in her life. And I think that we are here to be, to be each other's partner in growing to become our best self. I love that because, so when I originally read that question, my answer was companionship or togetherness. That just goes a layer deeper where it's like asking, okay, but why? Why together? Why companionship? And I really yes. love the concept of working together, like exactly circling back to the beginning, working together on our own individual growth and also that that third party, the marriage, growing together and bringing out our best selves. And if I may add to it, I put up a post on Instagram a couple of days ago that simply said, love invites healing when we see each other through the lens of compassion. And I think that's the other function of marriage. I think that we all, um, as I said earlier, we all arrive at the marriage with our own particular brand of emotional wounds from growing up. And I think the marriage gives us a deep and powerful opportunity, not only for personal growth, but for personal healing. And for that healing to be witnessed by our spouse, who is also practicing that same compassionate, empath empathic place of being, um, when you have that combination together, there's not only nothing impossible to you, but your own growth will get on a trajectory that will shock you because as you let go of and eliminate these old attachments and um, dysfunctions and, and emotional history, um, you move into a new state of being, a new state of growth that's so powerful. Um, well, thank you both so much for joining me. This was fantastic. And I hope that it inspires people to A, read the book, and B, just from this podcast alone, starts to inspire them to start allowing and also appreciating and seeing how they can do that in small little ways on a regular basis in their marriage. If people want to get a copy of the book and also connect and find you online, how can they do that? Well, we have a website which is devoted to the book and everything surrounding the book. So, you know, we're, we're offering a, a number of different programs, um, one single shot workshops that are two and a half hours long and lengthier programs of, of coaching and training. All that stuff is on our site. And the site is simply gogivermarriage.com. Um, you go to that, go to gogivermarriage.com. You'll see the book. You can pre-order the book there. There are some um, pre-order offers for people, people who buy the book before the day it publishes. They'll get some several video masterclasses that Anna and I recorded from our living room couch um, and free access to a live fireside chat that we'll be doing a week after the book publishes with a Q&A, so interactive, so you can ask questions and, and, uh, and we'll do our best to answer them. And all of that and more is on the site gogivermarriage.com. Great. I'm a huge fan of the pre-order perks. So uh, I'll make sure that gogivermarriage.com is on, is in the show notes and as well as your Instagram account too. So people can follow you there because I, I really love the quotes and things that you share on Instagram too. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Emily. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. 
To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.